calling you from Freedom Main Radio. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Good, thanks. That's good. Just That's to good. save us all from carpal tunnel syndrome, I thought it might be the kind of thing that would be better to talk about <laughs> rather than type about. Indeed. Um, and yeah, it's the personal interaction is much more effective, you know, over the phone. Sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. And I am recording this, just so you know, if we get useful stuff out of it, it's awesome. a, a good idea to release it as a podcast, if that's all right with you. Um, I would be honored. Oh, excellent, excellent. Okay, so you have a thesis about the immateriality of consciousness that, yes. uh, if you could just sort of step me through it, I got, I think, most of it from your post, but just so I make sure I understand it. Okay, um, basically, I was trying to figure out what consciousness was one day. And so I decided to design a robot that uh, was as similar to a human as possible without actually being conscious. Um, now, theoretically... So like, uh, the queen or something. The queen? What? Just kidding. Just kidding. Go on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My sense of humor is sometimes busted. Um, or mine is bad. One of the two. We don't know. No, no. No, I get it afterward. Right. It's just, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, you see, now I'm getting it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, so we, we designed this, this android, and I just try and eliminate, I tried to eliminate everything that the android would n not be able to do without consciousness, as a, as a way of trying to figure it out. And I realized I can't really figure out anything that the, the uh, android can't do uh, without consciousness unless consciousness is somehow uh, not a physical property, basically. Right, right. That makes sense. Like, unless there's magic pixie dust in the human brain which produces consciousness that can't be replicated any other way, then uh, if you design an android or an android is, is brought into being that has all of the physical attributes of consciousness, then it should possess consciousness, right? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. And another way of looking at that is that when we go out into the Intergalactic Federation and we meet hmm. other beings, perhaps even silicon-based, that have developed all the properties required for consciousness, then they should. You know, if you photocopy a brain, you should get consciousness, right? Indeed. And so, but then if you think about that some more, and you say, okay, I am now going to remove things from the android until it's not conscious. And, All right. and now I'm nervous. I've forgotten my argument. Um, oh, no problem. Right. Take your time. It's just, right. uh, this is complex stuff, so no rush. All right. All right. So you remove stuff. You might want to, just if you want to, I mean, you might want to bring up your post. Uh, or, yeah, there we go. Because so it's always hard to read. Like some, sometimes people ask me about UPB, and I get mm -hmm. a little brain seizure. It's like, yeah, it seems kind of true, but now I can't think of exactly what it's <laughs> so understandable. Um, okay. Right. So we've, we've made this android, and it can do everything a human can do. And... Um, we, we try and remove consciousness from it. But we find that we can't because it's, it's a brain that we've designed. And like we can't, there's no particular component we can take out. We have to like completely cripple it so it stops being conscious. 
And if that's well, the and case... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just kind of want to make sure that I understand that point. So we yes. have a fully, a fully conscious uh, Android brain. Yeah. Uh, and then, because when we look at human beings, we can do things like certain brain injuries or a frontal lobotomy or things like that can reduce our capacity for consciousness. And Indeed. it sort of goes down the scale of uh, intelligence, right? So if you have somebody who has an IQ of 150, then they're really smart. And then as you scale it back down to 100 to 90, 80, 70, and so on, you get diminishing levels of consciousness until you end up with, I don't know, like a brain-dead coma victim or something. Mm. Um, so uh, I'm just trying to, like, the way that I would analogize it in my mind, rightly or wrongly, is to say that as we take away aspects of the android's intelligence, it would be like going down through the scale until you end up with the intelligence of, I don't know, like a smart chimpanzee or, you know, th through the human mind. Would that be reasonable or no? Um. I'm going to mention an, a very fascinating study that was done. Um, there's this particular brain injury that you can get, and it, it wipes out conscious perception of one side of your visual field. And one side of your visual field, right, okay. So, like, if, if you ask the person, hey, what's over there? They're like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm blind over there, you know, brain damage, haha. <laughs> but if you punch them, like if you punch at them over there in the blind spot, oh, they will flinch. Cool. Yeah, this so, is the Oliver Sacks stuff, because I used to read some of this stuff when I was younger. It's really neat stuff. I don't know. I, I saw it in New Scientist. Um, oh, right, right. So, so what we know is that we can process information without it being conscious. Um, just obviously, I, I am kind of stretching this here. Uh, you probably really want to do a lot more tests, but I think from the evidence that we have that you, you can process without consciousness. Oh, and I would, I would fully, fully support you on that um, insofar as, uh, you know, in, in some of the work that I do in, in psychological areas, uh, you can have, you know, somebody claims to love his wife and truly believes that he loves his wife, but then has a dream that he wants to kill her. And then mm -hmm. as he goes down the road, he finds out that she's kind of mean and sarcastic and puts him down or whatever, right? So right. Uh, I'm certainly a full believer that we have massive horsepower that goes below the surface. Right. So... The question then is, um, you know, how much processing can we do without consciousness? And um, basically, I don't see any reason why we can't do all of it without consciousness. I, I don't see sorry. what exactly... Again, I, sorry. I just want to understand what you mean by that. So would you, would you say that a dream that you would have at night is the same as processing without consciousness? Well, it has... Well, physically speaking, it has consequences, right? Like, it's not just there is a dream and you experience it, there's a dream and there's memories laid down and you may act on it and so on. And these could be, I'm just, I, I'm not a determinist, but just for the sake of argument, these could be deterministically done. Like you could, you could implement in a computer all the, all the uh, same impulses as the brain, as the dream, and have it lay down the memories and have it act on those memories much as a human would, but instead of doing it through conscious choice, it did it because you programmed it to. Sure. No, I, I can understand that. This would also be the effects of childhood propaganda, as we see within society, the necessity of the state, and so it's all just taken for granted, and people don't even think about it, in the same way that in the Middle Ages, they really didn't think about the non-existence of God, because they were never exposed to the idea. So, but I just wanted to understand, because you're saying processing without consciousness, and I just want to make sure that I understand what you mean by that. 
So okay. you would include at night, because obviously we're not conscious while we're dreaming, but there's a lot of process well, going on. Are we conscious while we're dreaming? That's, uh, that's actually a good question. Because, um, okay, I'm going to define consciousness. Okay. Consciousness is stuff we experience. So we experience a dream. So we're conscious while we're dreaming. It's just like a separate kind of consciousness than, uh, than waking consciousness. We're oh, not so conscious. experiences that we process at some level that we can remember, is that right? Sorry? Is it experiences that we process that at some level we can remember? Basically, yes. Okay, um, got it. Yes. I was just thinking about sleepwalkers, and I'm like, are sleepwalkers conscious? That's interesting. But, um, but like, and then during deep sleep, you're definitely not conscious because you don't lay down any memories that you can access while you're sleeping deeply. Right. So, yeah, so if we, if we can, Im okay, and here's the thing. We either can implement dreams deterministically in silicon and in such a way that, um, in such a way that they're indistinguishable from human dreams, or we can't. And if we can, then consciousness is an extra property. It's something that that the brain does that's... Magic. That's, that's like magic, yes. Well, it's and not like we, magic. To me, it would be like if you, if you replicate the brain at, at every level uh, and you don't end up with consciousness, then consciousness is a kind of pixie dust, right? Which, which would, right. to me, be entirely mystical. Yes, and I, I certainly don't believe that. I'm just saying that we can't, I can't rule it out because we'd have to actually build this thing to, to know. Um, well, I would, I would like to say that, um, that I, 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 would, I would feel more comfortable ruling it out, and that may be my own hubris mm -hmm. or whatever, right? but I would feel more comfortable, because for me, an explanation which is magic pixie dust is <laughs> never an explanation, right? So uh, I would never be satisfied with that and say that that's an answer, because there always must be an answer that is uh, not, it's magic, you know? <laughs> like, that's what yeah. I've always tried to sort of work with in theory of ethics and so on. So, so anyway... So that's, that's, that's eliminated. But if we can't do it, if we can't implement a dream in a deterministic way in an android, then what we have is, um, if you want, we can actually make the androids use neurons for, uh, for processing. I believe this is theoretically possible. Yeah, that would be closer to what it is we're trying to, like rather than try to build a car out of balsa wood, we should build it out yeah. of it's going to be closer. So. Yeah, okay. So if we do that, if we try and do it deterministically and we fail, now let me think about this for a second, make sure what I'm about to say makes sense. How would we fail? Like, I'm you not mean, sure how sorry, that would fail. If we try to build the android and we can't in any way, shape, or form reproduce human consciousness despite having a functional copy of the brain in, a, in an Android system, is that right? Then we would fail because there's a magic pixie dust that we can't figure out to do with consciousness. Well, then what's happened is that there's an unknown in the brain, actually, but it's, like, it's not part of the neurons. It's not part of, it's not part of the anything physical that's going on. It's, some, it's actually gone beyond that. Like, so there's basically, the neurons in the brain have done a weird dance and has right. now contacted something beyond physical. Yeah, and I, if I understand, to analogize this, and you let me know if this, this works for you or not, if I assemble a cow cell by cell, mm -hmm. right, and then put the energy into it that's the equivalent of a cow's energy, I should get some substantial methane farts, right? Like I should get right. a living cow that, that moves around and, mo and moves and so on, right? But if I do everything 
that uh, is the same as a cow and run the electricity through it or whatever, and it doesn't come alive, then there's something else that's going on. Right? Is, would that be fair, fair, a fair analogy, or is that? Yes. Um, I want to. That's that is everything I said. I suddenly realized I want to add something. Um, so we we build a cow cell by cell, and uh, we put the energy in, and we get farts. Or um, we and we both basically ruled that out. That's the pixie dust. Or we build it with the same like with the same cells, but not necessarily cell by cell. We just put all the components in, as far as we know. And um, and it it mostly farts, <laughs> but it doesn't quite work. Like it uh, it starts farting. Like the the tubes get crossed. It just it doesn't quite right, work. Right, or it's unable to reproduce, or it gives birth to a cow with three heads, or something like that. Right. 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 Um, it's like if if I type in a computer program that you've written, it should be the same, right? It should work exactly the same. Right. And so. And so, if we do that, if we build if we build an android with a neuron brain, and we can't make it conscious, then we've missed something. But we use neurons. What can we possibly missed? Right. Right, right, and this is of course where a religious person would step in and say, "Well, you can make the body, but you can't make the soul." Right? Yeah, and I personally think that you can make the soul. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll go with that. So I think my mom and my dad did, just didn't know it. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we we certainly can. If you can reproduce everything, then you should get the same stuff, right? Right. I mean, with with the minor caveat that if uh, free will is a valid position, which I think you and I would both agree, it's a yep. it's a a reasonable place to start from, then you would have all of the capacity, but you may not get a photocopied life, right? At least you probably right. wouldn't. Naturally. Um, actually, my, my proof of three, free will is three lines long. Uh, my first axiom is trust your senses. So it's like, assume I trust my senses. Um, do I have free will? Yes. Therefore, I have free will. It's kind of fun. <laughs> right. That's very, very succinct, I must say. So, so which two possibilities? We've got the um, we can't make a. Okay, well, you had so. sorry to interrupt, but you, you had started, and and this is of course perfectly valid, right? But you had started by saying that this position was in opposition to a position that I had held or explicated or expounded in some way, and I was I wasn't sure that I followed which position of mine it was uh, it was inconsistent with or or. Well. Um, I'm not sure it matters yet, because yeah, like, if true. you agree, that's... it matters, and if you don't agree, it, it just doesn't matter. True. Um, if you want me to go with it anyway. Um... No, no, that's fine. Go ahead, go, we can go ahead with the, uh, with the conversation. It doesn't particularly matter. I was just wondering if it was on the top of your head, but uh, please go on. All right. All right. So, um, so we've talked about, we, we, okay, so we, right, so we've got the, Uh, just while you're looking, I'll throw a few two cents in uh, because I think that, that we may be pursuing a line of thought that uh, uh, has had some exploration before, of course, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Aristotle called it the essence of a thing, right? So he'd said, well, if you see a baby, you look at it and you say, hey, that's a baby, right? And then if you see a baby that's 20 feet tall, you say, oh, my God, that's an enormous baby. And then if you see a baby 20 feet tall with tentacles coming out of its belly that's blue, you'd say, oh, my God, it's a 20-foot tall blue tentacle sprouting baby. But at some point, you will add something where you'll say, 
I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> That's some sort of freaky thing that I can't even figure out. And that last thing that changes, he would call the essence, right? When changes something changes mm. from one thing to another, it's the essence of that thing. And in some ways, I think what we're trying to do is say, at what differentiating point is consciousness no longer recognizable as consciousness? Sort of. Um, that would be nice, yeah, if we could do that. Um, and, and, and this is the kind of thing where, you know, when we... When we look at a dead guy, we say, well, that's not conscious, right? And when we look at a guy who's giving a lecture, we say, that's conscious, right? And there's some parts in the middle that we can't figure out, right? I mean, or or that are in a continuum that there's a gray area, right? Like we can look at a child and say, that's pre-puberty. And then we can look at a 20-year-old and hopefully say, that's post-puberty. But there's a gray area in the middle where it's like, kind of, kind of. And I think the same thing is probably true of of consciousness. Okay, so we've got the... All right. So we've got the uh, the android that doesn't that fails to be conscious. We've got the android that's conscious, and I'm going to prove that both of these mean that uh, that something that something interesting is happening. Anyway, so if we've got the android that is conscious, and basically we start messing around with its modules a bit and we can't find the one that actually does consciousness, and we can't find like the relationship that actually does consciousness, then, um, then consciousness is kind of like a magic pixie dust. It's, there's no objective test to, uh, to, get, to um, prove that it exists or not. That's true, but that of course would be, that, that in a sense is the argument from omniscience. Like if we knew every possible variable, but we still couldn't figure it out, but then the argument would, would, I think, be more strong to say, well, if we can't figure it out, then we don't know every possible variable. Like, in a sense, we know that we know every possible variable when we can figure it out. So I don't know that it would be a strong argument to say, we know every possible variable, but we can't figure it out. Because so, then lack of knowing every variable would be the indication that we haven't figured it out yet, that there's a variable there that we don't know about. Okay. Um, see, that's, so that's why I have to then consider the option where um, we can get rid of consciousness, but we can't quite figure out why. So right. Like we, if, so we're in, sorry, we're in possession of all the variables, but we still can't reproduce con- consciousness. No, we, we, we're, well, hold on. No, we, we, we have an Android brain, and, uh, we rem- and we can't quite, wait a minute. So we we can't remove consciousness thing with the omniscience, but the opposite is that uh, like if we're not omniscient, yeah, we we just have to assume that uh, we we ha- happen to find it. We happen to find that that thing that does the consciousness, and I right. I think there is actually like a a lobe in the brain that does consciousness, right? That like that does you know you damage it and you lose part of your visual field and so on. Right. And so we, we take that out, and then we find out what the android can still do. Right, and so only can't see a ball, but can catch a ball or something like that. Yeah, and there's only two possibilities. One is perfectly functional, in which case the consciousness didn't do anything. <laughs> right, it's just like, it's like imaginary icing on a cake, Right. <laughs> right. 
And second, it does do something. Um, all right, here we go. Right, and, and if I understand it correctly, the the um, the example that you gave earlier of the um, the brain that was flinching from a blow that it could not see, I mm -hmm. think of course one of the evolutionary challenges of that would be that that is reactionary rather than initiatory. So Indeed. you can flinch from something that's coming at you, but you can't see where to pick the apple, so you can't eat, right? So if consciousness could still react to stimuli that was coming in despite no conscious processing of it, that would be certainly something w that would be occurring. But the evolutionary use and value of consciousness would be to initiate action towards a goal. I like that idea on one hand. And on the other hand, I'm going to say, what if, um, in response to hunger, you flinch toward where you think an apple tree is, and in response to seeing the apple, you flinch in a very complex way such that you grab the apple and start eating it? Uh, that is certainly possible, but if you uh, did not know where the apple tree was and could not consciously process visual stimuli, then um, you wouldn't be able to do that, I don't but think. We, we can just... Well, let's, we've got an Android that's doing this, right? We can just program in and, and give it the coordinates of the uh, of the apple tree, and then it does something that we can't functionally distinguish from consciousness. Well, yes, but then I would say that by typing in the coordinates, we are acting okay. as a substitute for the conscious senses, if that makes sense. Well, but then we just pull the flinches back, right? We say, okay, you're born, and then you you flinch and ask your parents where apple trees are. Right. Right, right. But then they would have, like, there's a bit of an infinite, like a total sort oh, of yeah. like an infinite regression thing, because someone at some point has to not flinch, but actually know where the apple trees are and so on? Yeah, well, yeah, that, they're, well, that's a problem with the, uh, the creation of consciousness in the first place, right? Which uh, I, I don't think anyone's really con um, competent to examine, because think about this. Um, there's basically, there was one animal, and it was not conscious, and then it had a baby, and that animal was very slightly conscious. Right. That's freaky as all get up, isn't it? But that's like the life thing, too, right? Well, I, I can totally see the life thing, though. Like, uh, life appearing, that's, that's cool. It's, uh, it's, quite, it's really, really cool, but it's, it's just, you know... Well, I, I agree with you, but to me, the life thing is bigger than the consciousness thing, because it's like, nothing moves... Nothing moves it unless uh, some outside force acts upon it. And then, bam, hey, we got stuff moving with no outside force acting on it, so to speak. Uh, and that well, seems to be pretty, pretty wild. I, I don't think that's true, actually. Um, because the outside forces in the case of small cells are just, um, um, they're like uh, chemical concentrations. It's just that suddenly uh, the matter can tell. Like it... it um, it sort of, it, it just self-organizes into something that uh, has a, how do I put this? Well, okay. Like a self-motive power, like it moves and it hunts and it reproduces and it, and so on. Yeah, but we, yeah, uh, the thing with consciousness, we start with just, you know, one function. And we, it doesn't, re I don't think it matters particularly what function this is. But basically, like, you have basically a bunch of fat molecules just floating around. And they like to form into globules because that's what they're like. And uh, they, they just kind of float around and it's not alive. And then it absorbs some proteins. And suddenly, these proteins um, cause it to move towards 
other proteins that uh, that cause it to move toward other proteins and and so now it has it it seems to have a goal it seems, it, it wants to uh, to concentrate this protein which is against entropy in a, in a closed system and so we've got we go from you know basically completely not life to something that is life but it's still mechanistic and we can just keep adding these components until we get something that looks like a cell yeah that's true that's a good point but then consciousness as you say is like a completely i mean there's lots of life but there really is only one human consciousness right it is the unique thing in the universe as far as we right right oh well, um that's actually a good question whether it is or not because um the only the real reason that well you, please correct me if I'm wrong on this. The real reason we know that, that I know that you're conscious is because I can talk to you. I can ask you questions, and you respond in a way that is familiar to me. And so right. I know that you, you share some properties that I have. Right. Hopefully not over-familiar to you, otherwise my show means nothing. But, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, well, actually, no. You see, when, you, when you're familiar, it's like, ah, right, so now I know you're consistent. And then when you're unfamiliar, you're like, well, I don't know that, but he was right before, so he's probably still right. Anyway, but we can't really talk to a chimp. So no. yeah. it's hard to tell if they're conscious or not. And then we really, really can't talk to a bug. Right. 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 We can. Uh, there is a test you can do. Um, I'm not sure if they know what intention is. This is the only problem. But you can observe fruit, fruit flies paying attention. Hmm. And so, you know, it seems oh, that that's consciousness... Right, they, uh, they put down their books, right? Well, what they do is um, they, uh, they put the fruit fly, they, they trap it with a bit of glue, and they put it in a, a tube of, um, that's a screen. And, um, and then they just, like, play blocks going by it and see how the brain activity changes. Right. And uh, it seems like the fruit fly can choose which block it pays attention to. Huh. Wild. Yeah, it's a, it's a very basic form of consciousness. Like, I'm not sure it would actually be able to do anything with this attention, but uh, it can actually pay attention. Well, certainly, I mean, even down at the single-cell tapeworm level, so to speak, you have to differentiate between food and danger, right? I mean, so there yeah. has to be some level of focus. Uh, but selective focus between the same foods would be something, I guess, more advanced. I'm going to think about that because I want to. So anyway, the the initiation of consciousness, and so we have no conscious. We have something that's not conscious, and then we have something that is conscious. And um, and I forget where I was going with that. Why were we talking about that? Uh, something that oh, you were talking about. I mean the. Um uh, the issue as a whole is this differentiation between non-consciousness and consciousness. And uh, certainly it would have stepped up uh, through a ladder, right? Evolution tends to work in a real slow, painful, step-by-step -step process. There's not mm -hmm. a lot of, like you don't just sort of go from, from cave fish to guy with eye, right? I mean, it's <laughs> sort of slow. I mean, guy with one eye maybe, but not two. That's what I <laughs> That would be really funny, actually. It's just, yeah, you know, boring. all these fishes swimming around and suddenly they're like, you know, one fish says to the other fish, Jenny, my 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 son seems to have arms, and he wants to read a book. I I don't understand. Right. And, With the second and Jenny's like, I know mine has three horns. What's going on? <laughs> right. Um, right. 
<laughs> right. But, uh, um, but yeah, so it, it climbed up the, con- the evolutionary consciousness uh, ladder, like step by step, that ladder went up. And then at some point, and there's this guy who's got this, the rise of consciousness and the bicameral mind. I've, I've had it on my bookshelf for like 10 years, and I haven't read it yet. But Richard Dawkins talks about it quite positively that uh, it is when you become an observing ego to yourself. And there's sort of this massive leap that occurs, um, which does seem to... Uh, and I'm just sort of going by my wife's practice here in terms of uh, she's a she practices psychology, mm-hmm. and there is a, a a correlation between the capacity for an observing or critical third eye and ego uh, and and intelligence right like that the therapy and self knowledge and so on a kind of elite activities that you don't get a guy who's got an IQ of ninety going into therapy and being successful right like it takes a fair amount of intelligence to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes, to look at yourself in the third person, to compare your behavior to abstract standards and improve and so on. So even within the human mind, uh, even within the human sort of society, there seems to be quite a spread in terms of what people are, are capable of. Now, it's not a one-to-one correlation. I'm sure that Paul Wolfowitz, though, having a high IQ, has the wisdom of a, you know, a rodent. But, um, and that's not very complimentary to rodents. But there does seem to be some correlation even within the scale of conscious capacities within uh, the human species. Some people have extra features. Yeah, that's right. They've had the upgrades. And, and not the stinky Vista ones, but the real good leopard ones. Mm. All right. So, all right. This, this is, I admit, like um, when I thought of this idea, I, I was definitely having a peak of mental acuity. Now I'm a bit lower and it's taking longer. All right. So, hmm. Oh well, I, I'm gonna. I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna repeat myself, and then I think we're. I'm gonna remember where I was going with the origin of consciousness thing. I would be right. the last person to criticize someone for a repetition in a podcast. So please. <laughs> that right. That's okay. Right. So anyway. Um, we, we have this android with a, with a meaty brain, and we take out the consciousness uh, lobe, and uh, we, we notice what's different. And um, this actually should be an area of study, because uh, if, it's, if it's not very mu- if it's nothing, oh wait, no, if it's a lot, if it's Well, I mean, if we remove the part of the brain that deals with consciousness and we can still function as if we had consciousness, then right. it's almost like a tumor, right? <laughs> because it's taking resources and producing no value, right? All right, so we, uh, so we take out the consciousness module. And, um, and the thing is, if there's any, any single action that the android now can't do, um, like... I'm trying to think of a good action, but we're going to start with a bad, a bad example. Like, say, it just can't brush its teeth anymore. Right. It, it's just incapable of brushing its teeth. The brushing your teeth is, uh, is like, it's a purely mechanical action there. And so, like... So I don't see what, what exactly is so special about the consciousness module that uh, you suddenly can't do these perfectly 
these perfectly mechanical things. So perhaps you can think of a better example. Of you mean in terms you... of, a, of an activity uh, to do with consciousness? Yeah. Uh, well, I would the, say that here's, if... the, here's another problem that sure. I have. We do do things with consciousness, but we don't necessarily know that we have to have consciousness to do them. It might be one of two or more possible ways to do it. Right, right. I mean, I think that we can do a differential diagnosis, so to speak, and we can say, well, oh, we have oh, some... Sorry? I'm losing you. Oh, sorry. We can do a differential diagnosis, and we can say, well, a chimpanzee does not have consciousness, and therefore the human mind, which does appear to have consciousness, we can look at the differences between the human mind and the chimpanzee mind, or brain, and mm -hmm. say, well, there must be some physical basis for these differences. It can't just be, you know, God spat a soul down or gullet when we were born or something. There must be a physical basis to the differences in mental capacities. So we can do that. I mean, that's sort of just like comparison kind of thing. One thing can do this, one thing can't. So let's look at the physical differences between the two. That may be a place to start. I would sort of say, though, that, for instance, it seems to me, oh, or at least in my experience, that human beings have a fetish, a, 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 um, a drive, almost an obsession, I would say. I don't think it's unhealthy. We always, always, always seem to have to compare our actions to a, uh, a universal standard and say that we are acting in accordance with a universal standard, right? So when you say to, to hmm. anyone, why did you do what you did, particularly in the realm of, of things which may be moral, uh, then you would say, they, they, will always, they will almost never come back and just say, I did it because I wanted to, or I did it because I did it. But rather they will say, I did it because it was right or good or practical or provoked or necessary, or they always seem to have, we, we as a species seem to have this absolute need to compare hmm. actions and justify them according to abstract and universal standards. Uh, like truth and right and wrong and all that kind of stuff. And for me, if somebody was able to function in the world, in society, and never once, <laughs> you know, have that uh, or exhibit that behavior of saying, I did X because it was justified by a universal Z, that to me would be an indication that uh, they had lost a pretty primary aspect of consciousness that is unique, right? Like the... The shark doesn't say I ate the fish because the fish uh, was taunting me and it's immoral to let that happen, you know, because you've got to stand up for yourself or something, right? They just, they just eat the fish because they're hungry, right? Right. But human beings, we're always comparing our behaviors to these abstract standards, right? Like no political leader has ever declared war because he said, I feel pissed off, right? Mm -hmm. They always say it's because we're about to be attacked and we're defending the people. Like there's always these moral justifications that occur for everything. And... Um, so to me, that would be an aspect of consciousness if you were to remove a part of the human mind so that somebody no longer felt the need to justify his or her behavior relative to an abstract standard, then that to me would be a very core differentiator. And if they could do everything else and function well, that would be more of a mystery to me. All right. Um, just a heads up, uh, you're kind of fading into weird robot-y talk. I, I can still mostly understand you, but it's... Okay, it's let me just bizarre. make sure I shut down everything so that... Uh, I don't think I've got anything else in terms of Internet, but uh, let me just double-check. Because uh, I may be bandwidth being hogged by something, but uh, let me just... Uh, let me just check. Do, 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 do. Okay, let me just turn this... Uh, I've got a VPN on, so... 
very well. Yeah, there you go. So let's uh, let's see if that uh, if that does it. Sorry, go ahead. All right. Um, okay. So, but how are they going to act differently? Okay. What sorry, they would, they they would now do what they would. Sorry to interrupt. They would do what they would do, but they wouldn't justify it according to any standard. Right, so the differentiator would be, instead of George That's Bush standing up and saying, well, we have to because, you know, he is, uh, Saddam Hussein is flouting the, the laws of the civilized world and he's got weapons of mass destruction and he's going to launch them at Baltimore and I have to pretend, I have to protect my people and, you know, it's a, it, we mm. regretfully use force to, to save civilization and blah, blah, blah. If he just said, oh, I hate the guy, he tried to kill my dad, so we're going to go and wipe him out. Like if he, if he just, without any justification, without any reference to abstract principles if he justified his actions, or rather, no longer justified his actions, uh, but didn't feel the need to give any ethical or objective reasons for why he was doing what he was doing, but just went and invaded Iraq anyway, uh, that to me would be a very interesting uh, aspect to, to take out of human consciousness. So you'd still end up mm -hmm. doing the same stuff. You would just not have all of the mealy mouth justifications that most people use. Right? All right. Yeah, okay. Now I understand what you're saying. All right. So... This is what we do. We we, uh, we take this module out of the android's brain, and then we ask, why can't it justify its actions? Not, you know, it doesn't. Whatever. It actually can't. Right. Why can't it justify its actions? Right. 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 And I would say that if we left the goal-seeking aspect of the android's brain intact, then it would immediately have to start justifying its actions or be unable to achieve its goal. And the reason that I say that is that the reason that George Bush came up with all of these moral justifications for this genocide in Iraq was because otherwise he would not be able to invade Iraq, right? Like if he just said, look, I hate the guy and I want to control the oil, right? Then nobody would have gone to the war. Nobody would have approved the war. There would have been a revolt, right? So he would be unable right. to achieve his goals. So I think the android would either become completely ineffective or it would start to realize that it couldn't get what it wanted without appealing to these abstract justifications. So it couldn't... Okay. No, okay. Give me a minute here. And, and just to, to give you another example of that, um, in my book on truth, I sort of talk about how parents use ethical justifications, not because they understand anything about ethics, but because it works in terms of controlling children. So it would be interesting to see how parents would parent in the absence of appeals to right and wrong, good and bad, uh, or ethical absolutes or, or universal values of any kind. I think it would be impossible to parent, in fact, without that. I mean, that's why I have some sympathy for parents who've had to put up with all this religious nonsense in terms of mm. the necessary things that we need to control or manage or optimize children's behavior within a society. Impossible in what way, though? As in, their children would fail to obey them, sort of thing? Or they, their children would be just as confused as they were? Well, uh, I would imagine that the, um, uh, the children, because children are born to some degree selfish, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That seems entirely mm. productive, right? But we have, to, we have to train children to have empathy 
by Wait, sorry, what? snatching and... Sorry, what'd you say? Uh, we have to train people, we have to train children to develop empathy by telling them that it's wrong, that it's morally wrong to hit other children and snatch their toys, right? Right. Now, we could so, so make the argument and say, well, it's not that it's morally wrong, it's just that it's impractical. Because in 20 years, if you still have these habits, you won't be able to get a job, you won't be able to have a relationship. Right. But children, of course, don't care about 20 years from now, right? I mean, that's part of <laughs> the joy of being a kid is living in that eternal now. So I think that without appeals to moral uh, rules or ethical absolutes or standards, it would be impossible to parent because you would just end up having to bully your children, right? I mean, a lot of parents do that too, but they mostly bully mm. them with ethical rules. So, wait a minute. So, sorry, just saying that it's, it's not possible. If we, if we take out the part of the brain that would uh, feel the need to justify decisions based on reference to universal values, then right. parenting would be, I think, become largely impossible. Uh, teaching, the teaching of children would become largely impossible. Uh, all of these sorts of things would, would occur that would be largely, I think, largely impossible. So, but without bullying, and well, it'd still be difficult even with bullying. But so, so what we would say here is, um, the parent would say to the kid, you know, um, you know, don't hit your brother, and the kid would be like, why not? And the parent would be like, because if you hit your coworkers in twenty years, you're going to get fired. And the kid's going to be like, I, I don't care about that. Yeah, he's got and a candy hit your brother anyway. Right. And then. Um, and then the parent is just going to have to be like, all right, well, I'm going to beat you up then until you can't hit your brother. And they're going to have to keep doing that, right? Right. And then the child is going to grow up and end up being stronger than the parent, right? So that's right. not a strategy then, that's going to work, right? Plus, of course, that's, uh, if the rule is you should not hit others, the child is immediately going to compare being beaten with the rule, don't hit others, and say, well, you're a hypocrite and blah, 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 right? Wait, sorry? Um, if, if, the parents, if the parent has as the rule, don't hit others, and then pounds the child into submission to that rule, the child will grudgingly submit, but will be entirely mm. bitter and say, well, if the rule is don't hit others, why are you hitting me? Well, yeah, but uh, we're, I thought we were talking about people who uh, were missing the moral sense at the moment. Yes, yeah, no, that's right. Then the children would bow down to the force uh, of the parent, but they would just do, they would continue to do whatever they felt they could reasonably get away with, right? So the, yeah. right? So it just it could never work, right? They'd just get up in the middle of the night like, and hit their brother and then sneak back to bed, and it would be an unmanageable situation. Very much like uh, the situation in, say, crocodiles, for instance. I, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, if the, if the little crocodile wants to do something that the, the parent crocodile doesn't, they, they do just have to bully them. And, of course, once they grow up, uh, they can't do that anymore. Right. And in fact, you'll, you'll see all these, you know, fights where they're like, I want to do that. And they're like, no, nah, I don't want you to. Well, let's try and kill each other. Right, 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 right. And that's a pretty primitive state to be in. And uh, I would say that if you could remove that part, that would be a pretty differentiating aspect of consciousness. And I think an enormous amount of other things would fall away at the same time. Like, I don't think you could remove that part. Because if you think about right. it, even something like engineering is the comparison of something to an external rational objective state, which is, you know, consistency with specific gravity and density and you know, mathematics and so on, right? So human beings, I think, would be unable to function beyond an animal level if we did not have the ability to compare our thought processes to an objective and universal standard.
Wow. Um, so I think you just solved an interesting question. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you did it on purpose or if you were doing it in a roundabout way, but so what you've just said, um, I think you did say this before, is that humans evolved morality. And it was basically so they didn't have to beat up their kids as much because that's, that's really not effective. And of course, so that, uh, and it also gave us the ability to, to resolve conflicts when we're older without hitting each other. Yes, and of course, as I've tried to work through in the UPB book, um, morality is logically consistent and human beings have a fetish for logical consistency, right? Whether, uh, but whether the premise is accepted or ridiculous or not, like God died for your sins or whatever, but we still do have a fetish for logical consistency that's just, I would say that's a pretty delineating aspect, which is the comparison of our thoughts and, and words to a, uh, an abstract standard. So what we've got then is, is morality evolved for one reason, and we've now hijacked this propensity for universal principleizing into, into science. Well, I'm then... trying to do that, yeah. I mean, I would say that morality evolved because it's the most effective control mechanism. Um, I've just got this new book, Real-Time Relationships, where I talk about right. But it evolved because it was the most powerful way of controlling other people, because it makes slaves attack each other, which lowers the cost of ownership for slave <laughs> Also helpful. So, Except that yeah, so if, you, if you take it to its final conclusion, you realize that you can't have slaves. So, uh, yeah, about that. Right. So um, I'm trying to sort of move that debate from uh, the, the realm of religion, which is the magic pixie dust. Why be good? Because God tells you to. Well, that's not an answer, right? <laughs> that just makes no sense at all. That's, uh, that's just passing the buck. Well, God tells you to. Well, well how does God know? Right. And, and why does God perform opposite actions to the ethical instructions he gives us, and yet we call him good? Right? All of these sorts of things, right? So, um, right. So, so go ahead. But I, I think that's awesome. It's like, and now I know where science comes from. I think that's really cool. Go on. Hey, if I said something cool, I always like to know. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, it, it, science is it, just. We didn't evolve science. Like, we didn't. There was no evolutionary pressure to make science. It was just. It just happened to be really, really successful. But it came originally out of morality. Actually, that makes a lot of sense, because if you think about it, our morality is like right in the brain. We have a moral grammar, I'm sure you know that. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, like, for we've, we've been a species for, what, 100,000 years, or is it a million years? I think it's 100,000 to 200,000, depending on who you talk to, but it's something around there. Okay. I don't think it's a million. Right. So, but only in the past, what, like 5,000, 8,000, have we had anything like technology? Right, and you could really say that the modern scientific revolution is you know, 16th century, like four or 500 years. Right, so that's, that's like a, a classic example of, oh, and that's also interesting to consciousness, but it's a classic example of, cool, a classic example of um, evolution hijacking stuff that it itself has made for something entirely different. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, what I think was that we developed this weird capacity in our brain to compare our thoughts to an external standard. And then through that, we became susceptible to moral pressure, and therefore people developed morality as a form of dominating mythology, and they used that to crush and control other human beings. And that's why we lost the equality of the tribe, the, the relative equality of the tribe, and evolved in mm. things like mm. the nation-state of the Egyptians, because they had this incredibly powerful tool called moral guilt and moral control. And so they used that. And what at least I'm sort of straining my <laughs> brain to do is to say, well, yes, we do have 
this innate desire to compare our thoughts and behaviors to a uh, an objective standard. So let's work like hell to make that standard as objective as possible. So because the only mm-hmm. other alternative is to be exploited. Indeed, and so the the question to, to me, like I, I've thought about this as well, and the question to me is always like, but why didn't like there would be at some point I would have thought um, they hadn't thought of you know oppressing their fellow tribesmen as a state. Why didn't their fellow tribesmen resist? Why didn't they say, you know, this sucks? Right, um, right, right. And uh, I, I'm just going to stab you with a spear. And um, we'll see who's arguing about what then now. And, right. like, and this is the thing, right? Because there would only be one guy that comes up and like, aha, I can oppress you all as a state. And like all, you know, 30 other tribes and we'd be like, um, about that. Right, right, right. Well, I would say that it's because we all start in a state, right? We all start in, a, in, in a, a family, and a family is not a situation of equality, right? Parents and toddlers. We all right. start in a state, in a government, so to speak, um, where our parents, where we are not competent to make long-term decisions for ourselves, where our parents do have to control and manage us. And, you know, there's all these other good things that parents should do, like consult and explain and so on. But basically, mm-hmm. it is a strictly biologically hierarchical relationship. We all start in... Uh, um, uh, in ignorance, right? And and children have uh, some aspects, like they're frightened of thunder because they're afraid, and they're boogeymen under the bed and so on, right? So we all start in a state of a state of superstitious statism, so to speak. And of course, the whole purpose is to to outgrow uh, all of that. But because we haven't found a way to not hmm. state represented, sorry, since we haven't really found a way yet to have the family not represent a state or to have the family train the child to outgrow this hierarchy, we end up with this hierarchy reproduced in society. And it seems to make right. be believable because that's what we grew up with and we, would never, uh, we never outgrew it. Um, would you agree with the statement that, I think you've answered my question, if you would agree with the statement that maturity, does, like emotional and mental maturity, does not come automatically and we're fooled into thinking it does because physical maturity most certainly does come automatically. I, I would not fully agree with that. Uh, and the reason that I would say that is because the amount of effort that is poured into retarding children is so extraordinarily high. Like you say, well, human beings, I'm not saying you would say this, but you could say in, in, in the Soviet Republic, you could say, well, look, everybody is naturally a communist because look at mm. the, the fact that everybody believes in communism. And you'd say, well, yes, but you subject these people to violent propaganda from the age of two to the age of 20, right? So, we, I mean, if you genuinely believed that human beings were naturally communistic, then you would not need to subject them to propaganda, mm. right? So right. when you look at the mm. amount of energy, both from religion and from statism and to some degree from the cult of the family, that is poured into remolding, reshaping, crushing, you know, undermining the minds of children, I think that it's very hard to say what they would evolve to in their natural state, but I, you know, it sure wouldn't be anything like what we get today, because otherwise there'd be no point investing all of this, right? Like if everybody just grew up and wanted to pay taxes, then the government wouldn't need to have all of this nonsense with public schools and propaganda and so on. All right, well, yeah, I'm I'm still kind of curious about, hmm, how do I put this? Um, so I'm guessing then that uh, like the state started I don't know why I'm so obsessed with this actually I do know why never mind um, 
the state started with this one guy being like, hey, um, there's this god, and you can, should follow what he says, and also I'm the only one who knows what he says, haha. Um, and he did that either to people who hadn't fully outgrown their parents, or he did that to people who hadn't complete, com actually completed the, um, the maturity process. Like he, he started with some, some natural, like say, uh, someone was traumatized not by their parents but like a tiger attack and so they got a bit retarded because of that mm. and so as a, that's what they would, he would have had to start with it's like either children or with with people who had been traumatized for whatever reason because I, I really don't see how or why a fully mature person would ever you know like how could possibly so and the reason I want to say this is because um, I think once we do finally get into Ankavistan, we will be mature people. And there most definitely will be people who try and reimpose the state. Sure, sure. And so we kind of need to know why, um, why it was successful the first time. Well, I would say, if you don't I mean, the, the way that I would explain it is, is to understand how human beings were domesticated, um, you would look at how any other being or species was domesticated, right? So hmm. there were wild horses, and you had to put a hell of a lot of effort into domesticating the first wild, the first herd of wild horses. Probably kicked half their <laughs> domesticators to death, right? But then right. after you've got them in captivity and you get to shape them from birth onwards, then that investment pays off handsomely, right? Right. And so the first uh, control and subjugation of human beings. We don't do it with whips and, and fences primarily. We do it with ethics or false ethical theories. Right. Uh, yeah, it was probably a horrible and bloody uh, battle to domesticate the first slaves to the hierarchy. But uh, after that, uh, you now have control over the children. And we no more fear, I mean, the farmers no more fear, sorry, the, the, um, the government no more fears rebellion than uh, from the current uh, herd of people than a farmer fears that the cows are going to invade his home and, you know, assault his wife. Mm. All right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. Okay. So, yeah, and so, and so now when people say, oh, well, even if you did get anarchy, uh, it would just revert to a, a government. I'd be like, well, well, no, actually. Uh, yeah, because no the absence human of being would ever, ever submit to a government. So, um I'm actually reading uh, someone else who's, he refutes ethics, so we know he's going wrong right there, but right. it's funny because like two sentences later he says, and violence is bad, yeah. I'm like, but, but you can't have ethics, but you know, um, aside from this, he actually, he goes, he goes pretty well, he says, all right, I think this is what will reduce violence to zero, and basically what I want to say to him is, is look, um, a healthy human being would never agree to be taxed, it, it just, it won't happen. So that, that would kind of reduce violence to nothing. That wouldn't it. Yeah, I mean, and, and for the people who say, well, as soon as you get rid of a government, one will come back, then you may as well ask them, do you think that foot binding is about to make a comeback in China? Indeed. Or slavery in America, right? I mean, of the, of the officially <laughs> sanctioned historical kind. I mean, you know, once you, once you take these steps forward, then you don't tend to go backwards particularly. And we never took the step forward with regards to statism or the cult of the family or even the nail in the coffin for strong atheism. So those things remain indetermined. But yeah, once human beings are free and happy, they don't voluntarily go back into shackles. 
And it's not profitable to do so without a state and without propaganda, right? That's what lowers the total cost of ownership for slaves to the point where it becomes economically feasible, like, like in a free market. War can't be, uh, can't be profitable. It's only profitable in a status situation mm. where you can force taxpayers to pay for it. Indeed. Well, it, how did you know that, incidentally? Like, it makes sense, but, you know, I, I try not to believe things just because they make sense. Oh, I've uh, I've written articles about it. We've actually done the math. Oh, okay. So I can forge you those uh, if you like. But uh, no, um, I, I trust you. Actually, that's fine. Yeah. As long as you, if someone's done the math, I'm I'm all good. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. Um, so, was, there um, was this useful? Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I know that you've you, you we've only got some way down the path of your theory, but you. You have some. Uh, you you said you wanted to take some time to mull some stuff uh, over more, and which of course is great, right? Hmm. Um. All right. So so we have a data point here. Through the awesome power of consciousness, because I, I really don't think this was an evolutionary leap, we've gone from merely being ethical to being ethical and scientific. Right. Same principles. A comparison of our thoughts to a universal standard. Can we implement that in silicon? I think we probably could. I mean, I, I would say that uh, we have a lot more to learn about the brain since nobody knows what the hell's going on really about the brain. Mm. But yeah, once we have figured it out, I mean, but there's so much soft learning that the brain does, like in terms of dreams and so on. Mm. And of course, the brain as it stands right now, like understanding a healthy human brain is really, mm. really hard to do right now. It's like if everybody's foot is bound in China, you don't even know what a healthy foot looks like. So you're studying something that's broken and mutated and smashed up. And for the most part, uh, that's the state of our minds because we're subject to all the right. and propaganda and so on. So, you know, the first thing we've got to do is have a healthy brain and then we can study that without all of this nonsense and defenses and fear and anxiety and weird attachments and like all of the sort of broken brain aspect of what, what goes on in our minds. So, yeah, first thing we've got to do is stop binding our feet, and then we can study a healthy human brain, and then we'd be much... Like, we don't want to rip, uh, replicate an erotic mind in a robot. <laughs> we don't mob at the paranoid android, right? That would be kind of a... Dr- well, maybe, maybe we do. Maybe we want to do that and then just mess with things until it's fixed. <laughs> could be. Could be. I tried that with, with, uh, with my computer. It doesn't work too well, but maybe there are people who do it with robots perfectly. Yeah. Be some interesting tool sets. All right, well, why don't, uh, why don't we pause here? I will um, send you a copy of this uh, conversation, and you can have a listen to it and uh, let me know what you think. I mean, I think we talked right. about some really cool stuff, and uh, I'd be happy to cool. release it as a podcast, but you can have a listen and uh, let me know what you think. Um, let, let you know what I think about it being a podcast? Yes. I, I stand by my statement that I think we'd be honored. Um, yeah. Do I want a copy? Sure, I want a copy. I will, awesome. send you a, I will send you a link for sure. How long have we been talking? We have been talking for 59 minutes. Nice. Oh, man. All right. Okay, man. Talk to uh, you. Well, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, yeah, bye-bye. Take care.